1: Oh my goodness, <laughs> that just stops abruptly and you know we, we've got the countdown at the start of the show and it just boom dropped off the beat. And, That's uh, right, It says you buddy. Off guard. That's right, how you doing there Vince?
2: I'm great man, it's a Wednesday night and you know I, I'm excited, it's a good day, it's a good yeah. day, good Wednesday.
1: And we've got all kinds of stuff going on today and I don't like to like sit at the front of the show and do like a full like spend five minutes teasing what's coming up and all those kind of things. I'll just tell you. We've got three members of Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. I've got an extensive interview with them coming up. We're going to relive their uh, win at the College World Series over Rice. The anniversary, the 20-year anniversary of that is this Friday. So I've got Steve Stanley, Steve Solomon, Brian Stavisky. One of them tripled. One of them had an RBI single. The other had a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth against Rice in Omaha in 2002. But uh, so, so that's... That's the only tease I'm going to give. But, you know, so it's it's like the middle of June. If you're here in South Bend, you know it is a freaking scorcher out there right now. And, and I know you're out, you know, doing Gatorade camps and all that kind of stuff, Vince. So, you know, I hope you're sucking yeah. it down yourself. But Yes, uh,
2: got to stay hydrated, baby. That's the key. Yeah. That's the name of the game.
1: So there's not a lot going on in college football right now. 80 days to go, though, until Notre Dame and Ohio State. Yes. And guess what? You know, really, when the Marcus Freeman era starts in earnest on the field, you know, we've got our first blown Marcus Freeman controversy. Now, we haven't really had one of these before, and now we've got it blown up to an extent anyway in the national media, and especially in Columbus, I guess. But, you know, he's obviously coached exactly one game as a head coach, Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. Made fighting Irish fans, you know, pretty weak in the knees with how he's recruited ever since he got here, you know, beginning, you know, with being a defensive coordinator about a year and a half ago. And he's only continued to make fans swoon by putting together, you know, what's right now the number one ranked 2023 recruiting class in the country. And, you know, here he is. He's got his very first, he said, she said, kind of moment. So, What's it all about? What did he say? Well, I kind of want to get into the nuts and bolts, kind of lay this out. You know, I know Brian talked about it earlier. And we'll just, I, I'll lay it out for, you know, maybe maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't. He did a sit down, Freeman Marcus Freeman does a sit down interview with Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports. And here's how the headline reads. With his Notre Dame honeymoon nearly over, Marcus Freeman looks to keep the hype train rolling. And that's like, you know, pretty innocuous, you know, nothing offensive there by any means. You know, it's a pretty, I thought the article itself, have you read the article, Vince?
2: I have not. No, I have not. I've and just I, been and listening to everybody talk about it, basically.
1: I didn't read the, uh, yeah, I didn't read it word for word, but I kind of skimmed through, you know, looked for the highlights, you know, sort of the themes of what they were talking about. I mean, to me, it's pretty pro Freeman, I thought, you know, it was just kind of a little fluff piece, Marcus Freeman, middle of June, that kind of thing. For two thirds of the article, it seemed very tame to me, and then kind of toward the end, Freeman is asked about you know transfers and recruiting and how NIL factors into recruiting. You know these, you know that that kind of different things, things like that, and the whole controversy comes down to one word, two letters, the word if, <laughs> if. So right. here's how Freeman's first quote reads. This is again, this is later in the article. Yeah. You know, when they're getting into this recruiting conversation, quote, I'm not saying from top to bottom, but, but the majority of our kids, they, I want to say this the right way are pushed to learn and their study habits are formulated every day. You can't cheat academics at Notre Dame. Again, like you're not going to find too much dissent there. Right. I think we're all going to agree with that. I so, do.
2: I definitely agree with it. I think, I, you know, I don't think it's, it's going too far out on a limb to say that Notre Dame is an academic school and you're not going – you have to go to class at Notre Dame, period, right? Academics is paramount. End of discussion. That's not exactly a giant surprise, right? So I have no problem with Marcus Freeman saying that. Zero.
1: Yeah. All right. I completely agree with you on that as well. So to make his point, Freeman brings up – this is from the article – two – most significant football stops in his career before he was at Notre Dame, Ohio State. Freeman played defensive back for Jim Tressel, uh, drafted by the NFL and the Chicago Bears, and then, of course, the, with the Cincinnati Bearcats, he was one of the nation's best defensive coordinators. In then yep. he comes to Notre Dame. So then here's the next quote, where this is where the controversy comes in. So this is this is the discrepancy. Hmm. Quote. Right here. So here's the quote that was in the original article. Now it has since been corrected, and I'll tell you how it was corrected here in a minute. But this is how it read the first time. "Quote: You don't go to class at places like that. Okay, take some online classes. Show up for your appointments. At Notre Dame, you're forced every day to go to class." End quote. So that's what Freeman said, and and it says Dodd says Freeman said rhetorically. So that's what it said. So now that quote does make it sound like Freeman's taking a direct shot at yeah. Ohio State, right?
2: Sounds like he's saying, hey, you don't go to class there. And maybe yeah. you take some online classes, but at Notre Dame, you have to go to class. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Exactly. Direct, direct shots over the bow on that one. Yeah. Yes.
1: But again, one word, two letters. If. Freeman says CBS left the word if out of the start of that quote. So instead of starting with, you don't go to class at places like that, it should say, according to Freeman, if you don't go to class at places like that, okay, you take some online classes, show up for your appointments at Notre Dame, you're forced every day to go to class, Freeman said rhetorically, end quote. Changes the meaning quite a bit, right? Huge. Hugely.
2: <laughs> I mean, it really does. I. It's scary how much one little two-letter word changes the meaning of a sentence so dramatically uh, that this did, because one is pointedly they don't go to class they just take some online classes and it's no big deal he's saying well if you don't go to class then you can take some online classes and you know that's different than at Notre Dame those are light years different you know meanings and all they did was stick the word if at the beginning light years different
1: (laughs) I'm sorry to shave or I'm sorry to shave I'm sorry to laugh but uh, I just put the quote up on the screen. Can you see that?
2: Oh, I can see it. Yeah, it And says, a listener
1: say, "Vince like lucky like just shaved and got a facial. Used his uh, used to his five o'clock shadow and stubble that he usually rocks." And that's that's uh, a d- true story. I'll
2: tell you what, David. That's it's out of sheer sure laziness on my yeah. part when it comes to the no shave thing. Yeah, I hate yep. shaving. <laughs> so Freeman
1: goes on a Columbus radio station. Here's the quote from there: "Quote when Marcus Freeman says you don't go to class at a place like that, it changes the entire narrative." When you really look, what exactly I said? I was talking about if you don't go to class at these big schools that have sixty thousand, forty thousand students. Okay, you can take online classes. We can't. End quote. Um, you know, he's. You know, he says basically the majority of the kids at Notre Dame can't take right. online.
2: Well, classes. and somebody. And- Earlier, let, let me let me oh, let me yeah, finish
1: this quote real quick, yep, and then this sorry. will be the last quote, and we can just kind of talk. So, quote: "I would never disrespect Ohio State. I would never say you don't go to class." Freeman said, "I went to class. I'm sure you." And he's talking to Bobby Carpenter. He was one of the hosts of the show, former you know Ohio State teammate. I'm sure you did. We certainly went to class. And I guess James Nitus, who of course, right, you know from the Ohio State days, who's on the Notre Dame staff, he's the one who initially kind of uh put Freeman onto this. You know what was what was going on.
2: Oh, that he was getting
1: backlash? Yeah, that all, yeah. And all this backlash was, you know, starting yeah. up. So so what do you think, Vince? You know, I I can see as someone who has transcribed, you know, audio and stuff like that in my quotes, which is what Dennis Dodd did. You know, I, I haven't heard the recording, obviously, so I have no idea what it sent. You know, so Dodd obviously felt that he was in error, he must have gone back and listened to it. I could see where, you know, like maybe if Marcus you know, kind of like that, if, you know, like, he's, you know, kind of a guttural, like maybe he kind of muffles the if or something like that. And the guy doesn't notice the if, and then he's just saying, you don't, whatever. He went back and corrected it online. You know, the story online does now include the if, do you think it was an intentional if or an unintentional if that was deleted initially?
2: You know, the quote, the way I understand it is the quote that was used in the article is one of those, you know, where they use the beginning and they use the end and there's the ellipse in between. So a lot Uh of stuff got cut out. And so I feel like, so the like the yeah like
1: the ellipsis is like you you delete kind of some small you know like right some misdirectional kind of potentially yeah, go off on a tangent yeah, yeah yeah
2: I I feel like some stuff was left out on purpose I don't know if it was because of his and that could happen to Notre Dame or what, whatever the reasoning behind it was he had a point he was trying to make in the article and I think he used the quote the way he wanted to use it to make his point that's in the world we live in today. It's clickbaity, and that could be. That
1: that very well could be too. You know, because again, like when I read through the rest of the quotes and you know, and the content of the story, it you know, it was not anti-Freeman by any means. You know, it was like you know, stuff from where you've got Jack Swarbrick quoted in there and how much they liked him. You know, just a lot of the typical same stuff we've really heard over the last six months. This again, this is like the latter third of the article where it really you know starts to get into this stuff. And, you know, and nobody's <laughs> talking
2: about the other stuff, though. That's the yeah, thing. You
1: know the, but, but, but even even with the conversation that's going on with, with Marcus Freeman right now, like if if this exact same thing had come out of Brian Kelly's mouth, this whole oh. thing would just be – I mean, it would be a flaming gasoline can, you know, sitting <laughs> sitting outside your house ready to burn the roof off your house if Brian Kelly said it. So, like, at least with Marcus Freeman – you know like I think that there is a much more sympathetic public lean toward Marcus Freeman than there is toward Brian Kelly. You know what I mean? Like hearing Marcus Freeman. Oh, I agree Fre- with that. Know, I think it's it's especially the fact that that Dodd and CBS have uh, you know done the backpedal now and they've gone back and they've added the if to the quote.
2: Well, and they backpedaled big time because I from what I understand there's also an editor's note in there as well about how he was using Ohio State and Cincinnati as anecdotal you know, schools and things of that nature. Like yeah, the fact that they had to go back and add a word and add an editor's note feels like they are backpedaling like crazy on Mm -hmm. this. You know what I mean? And that's, that's not good. That, that that's not a good look. I will say that. Right. I will also say that I think Marcus Freeman right now, because he's so new because of all the good things he's been doing, he's kind of Teflon ish. Like, I don't think this is going to stick past, 24, 48 hours, to be honest with you. And
1: I don't think well, it's that
2: big of a story to begin with. So. It'll
1: well unless you're in Columbus, right? Or well, unless you're an Ohio State fan. Because Ohio State Dame, fans
2: are crazy anyway. The fact that I,
1: but, but the fact that Notre Dame's going to Ohio State September third, you know, this is gonna come up again in Columbus, you know? But it, it's I'm not sure gonna it come up here, but it's gonna come up again in Columbus. So, uh, And they I can just, bring
2: it up all they want. The, their quarterback of their last national championship team basically said, I didn't come to school to go to class. So, I mean, it's not exactly like a big secret that Notre Dame is an academic institution in Ohio State for the football players. is not necessarily that. So, they can cry and whine all they want, but the bottom line is, facts are facts. Notre Dame is an educational institution, a high educational institution. Mm-hmm. Ohio State, from the athletic standpoint, it's not. Those are facts. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. So they can be mad at Marcus Freeman because he's. I mean, one it's of their a state school. There that. are
1: two, there are two completely Fine. different standards yeah, of admission. Absolutely. You know, so absolutely. that's. But you know, that's what not not you know. Gonna, there's there's sixty thousand, you know, enrollment at one, and there's ten thousand at the other. Yeah, you know, there's there's a big difference between the two. It's a there's huge no doubt about that. It's
2: a huge difference, and that, yeah. and again, Cardell Jones says he's not going there to go to school. Okay, that's cool. I'm sure he's not the only one, but I'm also sure that. There's guys on the Ohio state football team that are going to class and there are, they are taking it very seriously. So Here's what I you wonder. Can't, you can't paint a broad brush,
1: right? Like I heard, um, it wasn't an interview with Aaron Rodgers, but it was somebody who had interviewed Aaron Rodgers a couple years back for like, it was like, I can't remember if it was SI or maybe ESPN, the you know, one of the national publications. And it, so it was a sit down where like the guy actually met up with Aaron Rodgers in his house. And, and the whole thing. And Aaron Rodgers basically demanded, you know, not not demanded, but he wanted copies of the recordings so that he could keep those on file in yeah. case this kind of stuff came up. I wonder how many people, you know, public figures like this, sports figure whoever they are, kind of asked for that, uh, you know, as as a fallback for their own security to make sure so that so that when they're saying, "Well, I was misquoted, I was taken out of, you know, whatever," So, yeah you know, they can actually go back and prove this kind of stuff you know I, I, I wonder I, how many know, people ask for that
2: I do know that Marcus Freeman asked for the audio from their interview yeah. and, and he got' it, like
1: so. press conference setting it's all it's all there everything's recorded you know what's Absolutely. being recorded but if it's a one-on-one which this sure. was I wonder how many people asked for that
2: yeah Interesting. And that, you know and that's again I think if you're looking at this from Marcus Freeman's standpoint okay. If this is the biggest controversy that happens over the next year or so, then so be it, right? Mm-hmm. I Big deal. That, that's how I look at it. And I also look at it as a learning opportunity for a guy who's a head coach for the first time and a lot more eyes are on him than there ever was in the past. So if he can learn from this, then fantastic. That That's the way I look at it. This is a non-story to me. He was just stating facts.
1: Vince, the people are demanding a mustache. <laughs> from
2: you <laughs> they're gonna be sadly is that sadly disappointed I'd kind of uh, like to
1: see that I'd like to it's see it's not
2: a good look I can show you a picture uh, well
1: I was over at Notre Dame earlier this afternoon and a couple of the players you know they're all have you noticed that they're doing the postseason the stashes?
2: Players. all the baseball players have the stashes it's, yeah
1: and some it's, have better stashes than others let's it's just a look. put it that way <laughs> it's a look I mean, that's right it, it's a look that's right mustaches are are very did uh, you see by the way we got accused of ruining top guns you know like we were doing someone said that we were doing top gun spoilers in the what? show the other day
2: no way who said i don't that? think
1: there were any spoilers right i i think we were like maybe talked a little general I think we, plot, danced but we didn't give anything it. away right Yeah,
2: i think we danced around it a little bit but i don't that's think we I gave thought. any
1: spoilers that's what i thought because
2: there, there's a ton of information that we did not talk about at all i think so too I think but, so too. So. Hey, that's okay. All
1: right. So speaking People of being it, it, at Notre Dame, of course, Notre Dame back in the College World Series, and everyone they left quiet. today, huh?
2: They left today. They like, did I leave
1: believe, today. Yeah. That's right. And I was watching
2: them put together their swag bags uh, in the armory, the Under Armoury, whatever they call okay. it. The under Armoury, and they were putting it all together and getting ready to ship it out to the guys. And yeah, it was pretty cool, actually.
1: That's, I was just looking, somebody had a, a Top Gun comment, he, he just said, if you didn't see Top Gun by now, you're not a real American. And,
2: <laughs> Spanky always coming t- through for us. Tend
1: to agree with that, Spanky. Yeah, no but, doubt about uh, it. Yeah, so, before they left this afternoon, they did a little, they, they practiced uh, one last time over at Frank Eck Stadium, Link Jarrett and a couple of um, players, Jared Miller and uh, LaMana came out and, you know, talked to the, with, with the media for a little bit afterwards, and Um, so link Jarrett spent some time with the media today, back in the college world series for the first time in 20 years. And, you know, if you were watching Sunday's super regional clinching win over Tennessee, you saw the current team bring out that big banner from the 2002 fighting Irish college world series team. You saw it, right? We talked about it the other day. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was in a lot of pictures and they kind of posed with it as a team and yeah, it's pretty cool.
1: So, uh, Paul Maneri, I had him on Monday's show. I asked him about it. He said he got so emotional watching the end of that game, seeing the current team win, and then bringing his team's big banner out on the field after game. And what Paul said was, you know, starting with that season, 2002, after they went to the college world series, they had this big flag made 2002 college world series. It had ND logos on each of the corners, and they flew that over Frank X Stadium for the entire 2003 season. That's cool. And then every year afterwards, what they would do was fly the flag of whatever their greatest achievement was from the season before. So they had Big East banners up, you know, for the next few years through from uh, 04 through 06, I guess, and you know until he left. But he said he had not seen that banner since the 2003 season when it last yeah. flew over Frank X Stadium and that he got so emotional, he was brought to tears when he saw, yeah. you know, the, the current team bring that banner out, and, you know, they were waving it out for the for the crowd, and it was, you know, really cool and all that kind of stuff. So today I asked Link Jarrett the story behind how that banner made its way to Knoxville. So here's Link Jarrett from earlier today.
5: And Nick, his son is, is our academic advisor. So before I ever got here, Paul was like, I'm going to tell you some of the things I think you need to know as you enter Notre Dame. And we talked, I sat in a little Starbucks near my house in North Carolina for 40 minutes and I literally was like writing things down and some of the stuff 100% I agreed with and did. There were a few things I said, that's, Probably, I didn't tell him, but that's probably not my style of doing it. And every coach has to have right. his style. But his continued, and that was call one, his continued advice on how to like, navigate some of the things that make Notre Dame very special but very unique, he, he guided me. And then Nick was our academic advisor, and he literally sat in my office with me whenever I ask him to, and we talked about the travel and the classes and when we should practice and how long we should practice and what days we should have study hall, what days we should lift, what days should we do tutors, should we do them at night, should we try to fit them in in the morning? So those guys got me off the ground here. I'm probably wrong about the banner story, but I think they brought that back. Did they bring that back when their group was was here? I've been at school for
1: he said he said he hadn't seen it since
5: 2003. Yeah. How did it go? Just been passed down since. Where was it? Players,
3: have players passed down to the next class?
5: Where was the physical banner? Danny's
3: living room. Okay. <laughs> That's
5: bad. Probably won't use that one. <laughs> that team are back to what you feel, like to walk into this room when we're playing Boston College and feel that team's presence, who essentially did what we did. I did the color commentary of the game. To think about that's how this thing lined up, it's magical. And I stood here with those guys for a while and talked to Paul. And we went out and guys were in exams, we played a terrible game. I think we lost Friday night, might have been one of our toughest losses. And then played one of our best games Saturday, one Sunday, like kind of a comeback. So that group watching our team perform and their comments on how they enjoyed watching the way they do it, that's the feeling I have from that group. And now you're 20 years later, the number one team, I think theirs was the number one team, and you look at that banner, and there's that blank bottom of it where it looks like that you should and will you're going to plug 2022 right in there under the other two and it's meant to be it's fitting and paul had a hand in it probably more than he realizes
1: that last comment there was really interesting to hear you know probably even more than he realizes that he had a hand in it and, and palminary told us the other day he's going to be in omaha in fact he left today you know to cheer on the irish his wife karen's birthday is friday and she wanted to be there for tomorrow night's opening ceremony, you know, and they're going to be other members of that O2 team there as well. What'd you, what'd you think Vince kind of seeing and hearing that? I'm
2: thinking if you send that clip to Paul, he's going to cry again. That was my, (laughs) that was
1: probably right.
2: That was my first thought (laughs) just because uh, I've heard Paul talk so much and, and uh, I know how emotional that he can get, but, I, I It was very interesting that he had no idea where that flag came from. I thought that was pretty funny.
1: Yeah, um, he was asking the yeah. the SID and yeah. a couple players were off camera. That's who he was yeah. asking about I thought that was that.
2: great. Yeah. I thought that was great, but he understands the significance of it, and he understands – I think if you're talking about Notre Dame and you're talking about history and you're talking about tradition, when you have a coach that understands that and embraces it, I think that's the key. That's the most important part because there's coaches right. that have come through whether it's football, whether it's baseball or whatever, they they get that there's tradition at Notre Dame, but they don't embrace it, okay? Like Paul said in his interview with you on Monday, he said, this is the first time that I've spoken to a group of players at Notre Dame since I left. How do you coach at Notre Dame and not have Paul Maneri come talk to the players?
1: (laughs) Well, he was coaching at another school, I guess. He comes back for reunions
2: all the time. He's here. I mean, he's on campus. And I know that because I know
3: you.
1: Well, here's... Here's what I would say to that, because I was thinking this even outside of that, the fact that it's a lot easier now when you're two coaches removed you know from the guys who followed him. Dave Shrag came right on his heels sure. and then Mickey Aoki followed him. And so now Link Jarrett is the, you know, the third coach removed sure. from Palmaneri. So it's a lot easier 16 years and three coaches, you know, removed from that. There's more, there's, you know, there's less maybe pushback you know, from kind of maybe, you know, cause I know Dave Shrag felt a lot of pressure, like Dave Shrag oh, and that sure staff did. that followed, they were asked, you know, cause when Dave Shrag took over, he was, they were only five years removed from yeah. going to the college world series. And now we're 15 years post that. So, you know, he felt a lot of pressure. People right. would come up to him. You guys going to go back to Omaha, you know, you get to get to Omaha and all, you know, they didn't even get to the tournament obviously, but You know, so that's kind of the kind of pressure that they felt. Not only were you following a legend, but you were also hearing from all these fans, you know, who still had really lofty expectations. So I definitely think it's easier, you know, 16 years down the line now. You know, I get that.
2: But I just think it's it's very – and you don't even necessarily need to have the head coach back, but having former players come back and talk and just, again, embracing the tradition, embracing the history, I think is really, really important. And it sounds to me – like that's happening at Notre Dame. And I think that that's really important. So yeah. he, he gets it to me. He understands it.
1: Well, and, and I think it's cool that, you know, because it's one thing if if Paul texts, but, you know, maybe a more full of himself coach would just say, I you know, I don't have to listen to you. Right. I, you know, I'm a great coach. I do my right. thing and, and whatever. But he said he sat there in a coffee shop taking notes for 40 minutes on all these things Paul's saying. And I agree with what he was talking about too. It's like, because I know Paul as well. There are like some very specific things. Oh, I'm sure that he would do that maybe not every coach is going to do, you know? And again, right, like right. when you talk about that transition from one coach to the next, there, you know, there was pushback in some of those things because players are used to one thing. Now right. they're getting another thing. But again, when you're so far down the line now, I, I think the reception is a lot different for somebody like that to come back. And so
2: I get that. I just too. think it's yeah. cool that he's
1: doing that too. Absolutely. And that, and that link is listening to it because yes. you are talking about a hall of fame coach. You won a national championship and, six college world series, you know, right. so <laughs>
2: exactly. Yes.
1: Now again, here in just a few minutes, I've got Steve Stanley, Steve Solomon, Brian Stavisky from, from Notre Dame's 2002 team. You know, the team that, that those players were honoring out there on the field at the super regional in Knoxville the other day. And we are going to uh recount and relive that dramatic ninth inning come from behind when that Brian Stavisky ended with a home run at the college world series. It'll be 20 years ago on Friday. In the meantime, though, Vince, fill in the blank on this next question. It's blank. Speaking of Notre Dame baseball, Mm -hmm. it's blank that former Notre Dame football and baseball player golden Tate is attempting a comeback in baseball at the age of 33.
2: Typical. Can I say typical?
1: (laughs) This Uh, is like very Golden tape, right? Is that what you mean by that?
2: (laughs) It's very Golden tape, but it's also very uh, pro athlete who has a lot of money and is now bored, frankly. And he did not get an opportunity, at least to my knowledge, to join a football roster, even though I still think that there
1: should be I think he's got some tread on the tires. Yeah,
2: that's what I'm saying. I, I think there should be a place for him. I think he could be a number three guy. You know, but is he willing to accept that role? Like, I don't know all the ins and outs of, of Golden Tate and, you know, his thoughts sure. and all of that. But he's made a lot of money. He's had a great career in the NFL. So he's sitting back. He's retired at the age of 33, for goodness sake. I mean, it, it's hard for me to imagine the word retire in 33, right? So he's got all this time on his hands. He could probably still sling the rock a little bit. So he's like, yeah. you know, what the heck? Might as well give it a shot. So, you know what? it's typical of, a, of an athlete and I give him props for that go ahead man try to fight off those younger guys and do something special man he he's I, he's still got wheels we know that that's so. and
1: you know that's the thing that he always had yeah you know, 2009 was his last season playing baseball for Notre Dame and to my knowledge the last time he's played baseball period he hit 329 that season in 55 games 388 on base percentage mm-hmm. 414 slugging percentage. A homer, eight doubles, four triples, stole 13 bases. That was as a sophomore, and then I think after that, he ended up being drafted. Here's what's interesting to me. He's going to play for a team called the Port Angeles Lefties in the West Coast Collegiate League. It is in the Seattle area, I guess. So semi-pro
2: ball? Is that semi-pro?
1: It's not even. It's a collegiate league. So these leagues are basically like, you know, college baseball players play their season at school, and then in the summer they summer go off to these wood bat summer leagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what kind of league this is. It's a college summer league. Now, he does have remaining baseball eligibility, but it's still weird because I looked, you know, I was looking online and it says this league is for players with college, you know, who are in college, basically. So here's 33-year-old Golden wow. Tate. And he's playing with all these college-age players, it sounds like. So – so that
2: adds a wrinkle to me. Like that yeah. makes it even more interesting because, I mean, he could. I wonder if he could enroll back at Notre Dame and be like a pinch runner for this team. Like I'm sure they could use <laughs> some wheels on the base pass. That's you know? a good
1: question. That's a good because <laughs> but don't you have like five to use four or something like like could you? Come I'm back I'm
2: sure I don't think you could come back that far down play. the road. At, yeah, you know, but I, but that would be you know
1: like if he could have enrolled you know like. <laughs> In the spring, and you've got Golden Tate coming off your bench stealing bases. But that's what he was good at. You know, like Golden Tate when I – because he was back in my last, you know, year or so of, you know, calling the games for Notre Dame baseball. He He was there. Yeah. And he was very raw still. Right. And, you know, he was still trying to figure out the swing. But I remember just a little Texas League blooper he hit into shallow right center field once that he turned into into a double when we were down in Florida. You know, he obviously has wheels, and, you know, it's just, you know, he's starting with pretty low expectations, and like you said, I mean, he played 11 seasons in the NFL. He got a couple nice paychecks, so he's got some money, you know, there are worse hobbies, I guess, you can have if you're Golden Tate, you know. And exactly. maybe it works out, but he's going to have to get it going here pretty quickly. Maybe you can get Jeff Samarja to pitch to him, you know, <laughs> somewhere down the road.
2: I mean, look, you and I would love to suit up and play ball again, right, if we had the ability to do so. And if somebody yeah. offered me the opportunity to do it, I'd go do it. You know what sure. I mean? I I feel like a goof dressing up for to manage a high school baseball team in full uniform, but I would love to play. And, you know, I would love I think- to give that a shot.
1: I think being Golden Tate, especially in the Seattle area where, you know, he helped the Seahawks win their Super Bowl, I think that probably opens doors for someone like Golden Tate that aren't going to open for, you know, Doe Vince, and Sean.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) There is no question about that.
1: That's right. Okay, our last question tonight before we get to the 2002 Notre Dame baseball players. Kyle Brandt of the NFL Network is planning his brother's bachelor party in October. So his brother wants to go to a college football game with great tailgating, all the atmosphere, and all that kind of stuff. So there are four games that they narrowed it down to. LSU, and these are all October, because I, you know, that's like when he's getting married. Okay. So LSU at Florida, Auburn at Ole Miss, Alabama at Tennessee, and Clemson at Florida State. So which of those four would you pick?
2: You know, I actually had a hard time with this one because there's a lot of different... Ways that you can go about it. You know, are you looking for the best matchup? Are you looking for the best tailgating? Are you looking for the best fans, per se? Like, right. what what is it that you're actually looking for to make this thing happen? So, for me, I'm going for the best tailgating because if you want the best matchup,
1: I don't maybe, honestly, maybe LSU, sure. Florida, yeah, I don't that know.
2: might be the best matchup, but I don't want to have anything to do with LSU, so I'm going to say no to LSU. I'm going to, I don't want to have anything to do with Tennessee after this past weekend. So I'm going to say no to Alabama, Tennessee. I don't know what the tailgating situation is at Florida State. I I mean, there definitely be some eye candy and some fun stuff to do down in Florida. There's no question (laughs) about that. I'm going to Auburn at Old Miss. I've heard a lot of really good good things things. about Old Miss. That's right. About Old Miss. And I think that that is a beautiful campus. I would love to see it in person. I think the, rivalry of Auburn Ole Miss is a good one I think the tailgating would be good I can be good I'm going to Auburn Ole Miss I think that's the that's the pick for me
1: I'm completely in there with you as well you know like the other three places because you're at Florida at Tennessee at Florida State I don't right. think any of those do anything like yes, you said exactly. you don't want anything to do with LSU you know and the Brian Kelly connection yeah. I get that yeah. but I would actually like to go you know, to a night game, Death Valley, and all that stuff at LSU yeah. sometimes. So if, like, Maybe the that. venue was switched, I think that I would pick LSU. And, I, you know, so I'm, I'm going to go with Ole Miss as well. You know, the, the Auburn at Ole Miss. I think that's a pretty good matchup. Lane Kiffin, all that. And supposedly the tailgating scene, you know, even though, you know, Ole Miss is just kind of finally coming into some actual on-field success right. in college football, I, I think that's the way to go. I would go to Ole Miss as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. And – Getting to see the sideshow of the head coach at Ole Miss, that's not a bad, you know, <laughs> backup as well. So, I, I like that one a lot. And it is a good chance it's a night game. So, that could be a lot of fun all day long. On
1: the yeah. Game. And I mean, like when you look at, because the, the first thing I did was like, well, are there any other games in October that I would go to? And I mean, there aren't any marquee, you know, like the Notre right. Dame, there aren't any marquee at Notre Dame, is what I'm saying. Like Notre
2: Dame Clemson's November 5th. I thought it was yeah, in October, exactly. but it's exactly. in November. So, they can't, they got to scratch that off the list. There's the home games in, in October for Notre Dame are not as appealing as any of the games that you mentioned. I mean, you're talking what, UNLV, Stanford. Those are the home right. games in October. Exactly. Yeah, that's a hard pass. Exactly. If
1: Clemson <laughs> was at Notre Dame, yeah. You know, in terms of the matchup, not as good. Now, the scenery, you know, just in terms of, like, oh, fall yeah. at Notre Dame and the leaves and all that stuff, like, if you time your your you know your trip to town sure. for a game when the leaves are just right, you know, that's that's the time to be there regardless of who it is. But no doubt. You know, like, obviously, if it was USC this year, that would be a lot better than, yes. than Stanford. But, yeah. All right, Vince. Well, appreciate it. As always, I'm going to be uh, – uh, got a show coming up tomorrow. I'm going to be heading out tomorrow for Omaha. Though so, Vince won't be here tomorrow. You lucky to appreciate the last three days. That's right. (laughs) I'll I'll see if I can bring you something back. I'll try to freeze some ice cream for you. There's a really good Zestos. If if anyone's going to to Omaha, there's a little soft serve ice cream place right down the street from the ballpark called Zestos. They used to have one uh, when it was up at Rosenblatt, and it's like They've got great shakes and malts and ice cream and all that.
2: Kind of the last time so. you were at the College World Series, I believe you brought me a T-shirt. I, I think, may have. I think you brought me a T-shirt, and I you got me a baseball from the Field of Dreams. I have that as well. So those are two two items that I've gotten from Sean Styers. All right. That all right. I, the ba- I'm looking at the baseballs right there. <laughs> so.
1: All right. all right. Thanks, Vince. I will talk to you later. You bet. I'll talk to you later, Sean. Sounds good. All right. So, uh, oops. So, what we're going to do now is we are going to relive, you know, of course, Notre Dame is back in the College World Series this year after a 20-year absence. The last time they were there, 2002, the three guests that I've got coming up, they played a, they were the comeback in the ninth inning as Notre Dame came from behind to beat the Rice Owls. walk-off win a home run by brian stavisky so i'm gonna bring in my three guests right now and we are going to relive that bottom of the ninth that will be celebrated 20 years ago on friday this month marks the 20th anniversary of notre dame's 2002 college world series team and that group of course was the first irish team to get to the college world series in 45 years more specifically June 17th marks the 20th anniversary of Notre Dame's come from behind win over number one ranked Rice at the College World Series. It was a do or die elimination game. And we've got the three guys who were the main contributors to that ninth inning comeback in Omaha, Rosenblatt Stadium in the College World Series. Guys, I've had all three of you on at different points over the years but by yourself. So this is the first time we've tried something like this, having you all together. This is pretty cool to kind of see your faces all together. Glad to have you here today. I'll do the formal introductions in just a second, but glad to have you uh, all uh, with us today.
4: Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Sean.
1: All right. So, so let's let's go through the, uh, like I said, the formal introductions. We'll just start at the top of the order. Notre Dame's leadoff man, he was batting four forty two. With a 1056 OPS going into the college World Series. An all-American. He was drafted by the Oakland A's about a week before uh, the World Series. He, of course, is the center fielder, Steve Stanley. How are we doing today, Steve?
4: It's great to see you guys. It's great to be here. It is it's a little funny doing this on video. I've never, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm used to doing it on the radio, but it's great seeing that's right. Guys. It's great, great to see you, Sean. And, you know. Everybody has aged well. My parents, when we came up for the uh, the 20th anniversary the weekend, my 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 mom just kept saying everybody lost weight. I mean, it's not like you know, it's incredible. I mean, everybody's you guys
1: are not you're, not a good, <laughs> you're a very good. You're a very in shape crew, though. I was pretty <laughs> impressed, you know. So, all right, next we've got the two hole hitter. He was leading the entire nation with a 714 average in the NCAA tournament entering the College World wow. Series. He was a sophomore that season, drafted by Milwaukee two years later after his senior season at Notre Dame. Steve Solman is with us. How are you, Steve?
6: Doing well. Thanks for having me. Just sitting in, uh, in an office on campus as we speak, uh, in the, in the uh, development office here at Notre awesome. Dame where I work.
1: And of course, you are both Steves, so I'm probably, you know, I usually just call you Steve when I talk. I'm just, we're probably just going to have to go Solman and Stanley, you know, just to differentiate as we go through this thing. That'll you know? be that, that'll be that'll be good because that's what they called us on the team too. So that's true. That's very true. All right, and uh, last but not least, the number three batter for the Fighting Irish. Who uh, led the Irish with eight home runs going into that game in Omaha, second most RBIs with 54 on the season, an OPS for the season of 11.36. Also drafted by the Oakland A's that year, Mr. Brian Stavisky. How are you, Brian?
7: Good, Sean. Thanks for having me, and it's great to be on with Steve and Steve, and uh, talking about 20 years ago and what we did, you know, with that great run. That's exactly right. And so what we're going to do, we're
1: going to go through, got some of the, the, the you know, the radio clip, basically the entire inning, we're going to go through it, get your thoughts on it. Uh, you know, again, we, I, I haven't tried something like this before, but I thought it would be a lot of fun with this being the 20th anniversary and everything. So I guess just to start with, though, let's just go around the horn. And I, I guess we can just, you know, since we got the batting order, You know, just any time I throw it up, you know, you can, you can just go in batting order, I guess. But, you know, just any, like you're going into that game. Again, it's an elimination game, College World Series. You had lost your opener to Stanford two days before that. But you were coming off the big wins, you know, at the Super Regional over Florida State a week before that. Just your, you know, thoughts, feelings, emotions, whatever you had going into that elimination game against Rice that day.
4: Well, I'll tell you the first thing that that. I always think about is in the four years that I played at Notre Dame, um, these guys were with me the entire time. It, we had never gone to and out ever. So, you know, there, there was something built in us where we, we just knew we were going to give him an even better effort the second game than we did in the first. And I think there was also, you know, some jitters in that first game, all of us, you know, it was our first time at the world series playing in, t- in front of 25,000 fans. I I had never played in in anything like that. And I don't know if these guys had either, but I can tell you it was the only place I'd ever played that felt like I was in a football game environment like at Notre Dame Stadium. And so there was some jitters, I think, for everybody. And uh, we knew that, you know, in the second game, we were going to give really just a great effort. And we we felt confident.
6: Yeah, I mean, I I would – Echo everything that Steve said. Coach Maneri always talked about that. I, I remember going back to, you know, I was only a sophomore at that point, but even freshman year in the regionals and in and the, and the Big East tournaments and, and things like that, Coach just always saying, like, hey, we never go to and out. Like, that's just not in our DNA. Um, so having that confidence, you know, feeling good. I mean, going up against the number one team in the country again for the, the fourth time in five games, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was only a ranking at that point and i think we all knew that everybody was as good as everybody else and it just uh came down to putting up some good at bats and and getting a good outing from Nisol and and just doing what we knew we could do and and, and getting the w
7: yeah you know and just like they said I, th- I think you know one of the things it was a big you know it was exciting but it was new for us to go to omaha um even all the way through um you know, the regional that we hosted, then going to Tallahassee, even though we played Florida State and they were number one, it was just, you know, on a college campus. And even though it was in their house, and then, you know, we all have seen Omaha and we, we grew up wanting to go and play there. But I think that was a little bit, you know, just getting there and seeing, you know, what it was like, you know, and then trying to play, you know, against all these other top teams, you know, we played a good first game, even though we came up, I think, one run short against Stanford. So we knew yeah. we, we could play with anyone. We beat Florida State to get there, and we played a good game against Stanford, and we had a challenge against Rice, but um, kind of like we always talked about in the tournaments, not going to and out, and we knew, like, we could play with and beat anybody at that point. So it was just a matter of getting out there and, and doing it. And in that case, it was an elimination game, so we wanted to just keep playing and stay there, you know, in the – World Series as long as we could. Yeah. Oh,
4: Sean, Sean, it's amazing to me too that these guys. I knew that the guys that I went to school with were bright, but Solman mentioning that it was the fourth out of fifth game we played, and I didn't. I didn't know any of these details. The number one. <laughs> game. I mean, I didn't. It's incredible. These guys are so smart.
6: I will <laughs> say that I had to go back and check out. Also, like I was literally <laughs> listening to the game five minutes before I jumped on this call. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah,
7: but I mean, That's- you get to that. That, that point of the season in the the teams that this year, you know, you get to Omaha and, and every year, like the teams that are still playing, you're going to be playing top ranked teams every game. You know, and for us, it happened to be three games against number one, Florida State and then against a good Stanford team and then against Rice, even though they had lost, they had been moved up to number one. So, you know, at that point, it's like you can't play anybody any better. And we beat some of them. So it was just a matter of going out and playing the best we could. And we knew we could do it. Yeah.
1: Well, and to your points, you know, like I, I've listened to, to to some of those games as well since I, you know, dug them up and, and found them. And I was listening to that first Stanford game, which I don't think I had ever listened to since then. But, you know, you lost a one run game. You guys had 10 hits in wow. that game. Just, you know, couldn't quite string, right. you know, get a string of things going. Javi had the, the home run yeah. in that game to get you on the scoreboard. And, you know, you're right in there. And that's Jeremy Thanks. Guthrie. Yeah. You know it was a first round draft pick. and you know both of these guys that that you you faced in in succession were you know big league pitchers, first round draft picks. So that's you didn't go up against any slouches. that's for sure. that's
4: crazy. I didn't realize we had ten hits. I, you know, um yeah, you know, we gave them everything that they that they had too, you know and it was't it was a close ball game. I do think I was a little bit of a deer in the headlights at, at, <laughs> at first game. I mean it was, you know. I mean, and also, you know, think about this too, guys. I mean, I don't know if this crossed your mind at all, but playing on national television, you know, I mean, that was something that was new for all of us, you know, really. Yeah. And, and that was pretty big too. So,
7: Yeah. All right. Cover games leading up to it like they do now. And that was Very really true. what you had to get there to really be on the national stage and yeah, you're right, right. the whole atmosphere, national TV. I'm sure, you know, it did. That first game made it a little tougher. Second game, we could just more relax and play. Yeah. So let's go
1: back. We're going to go through. I've got seven clips here that we're going to uh, to get through and we'll kind of, you know, pause it down and and talk a little bit about each one. So here we are. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. Notre Dame trailing rice three to two in this elimination game, June 17th, 2002 at the College World Series. And uh, here is how the inning starts. tander's still on the mound
8: for rice there are a pair of right handers warming up right now for the number one ranked owls in the bullpen down the right field line palminary having a final chat with joe thaman before joe steps into the batter's box it's thaman from the ninth spot in the order then steve stanley and steve solman notre dame trailing three to two the irish have come from behind 21 times to win this year can they do it for a 22nd time they lost by a run to stanford in their first game of the college world series in 45 years saturday afternoon by a final of four to three rice is here after a two to one loss to texas but now the irish are down to their final three outs called strike to joe thaman 0-1 joe is 0-3 today is grounded out twice and has struck out crowder into the windup and the pitch to thaman breaking ball for a strike 0-2 Joe grounded out to second base to end the second. He struck out, starting the fourth. Grounded out to first for the second out of a one, two, three, six. The 0 2. Breaking ball, chopped to first. Taken by Sinisi on a bat off. He races to first to get the out. One away.
1: Okay, so that's how the inning starts. Again, Joe is the number nine batter. Steve Stanley back at the top of the, of the order. Solman and then Brian Stavisky, if anybody gets on. And I should mention now, you know, Talking about the pitchers, Justin Crowder, uh, he came in in relief. Their their starting pitcher, Philip UMBER, who was a first round draft pick the next year and actually pitched in the clinching game of the 2003 College World Series, he really struggled early on. Didn't have a lot of control. Walked some guys. I believe he hit a batter. What, what did you guys see from UMBER in, in his? I think it was two and two thirds innings on the mound.
4: Well, he threw incredibly hard. You know, we knew going in that they had uh the two big horses at the top and you know really our from our perspective it was we got to get on base rattle them a little bit get to them early and um, i thought the guys did a fantastic job i struggled that entire game getting on base but i think everyone on the team you know really really responded well to that challenge and you know it was uh again we gave him all he could handle and i think that we saw a ton of pitches and that probably contributed to him having to come out of the game yeah
6: i think i think that's uh was the biggest piece is us just putting up good at bats um you know personally although crowder had had a ton of success that year and hadn't given up many many runs at all I i don't know if he'd given up a run in in the in the uh in the tournament but uh I mean he was the type of pitcher that i enjoyed hitting against you know i'm sitting there just slicing balls slapping balls the other <laughs> way just waiting for a change up or something um so i it was it was definitely more comfortable for me than a guy up there throwing 98 or 96 whatever humber was throwing at that point in time
3: yeah
6: um so i think just those 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 good ab's early on um making sure we saw a ton of pitches and then trying to get to to uh a pitcher that at least for me was a little bit more in my comfort zone was was critical
7: yeah, I think good at bats. And then the, you know, that we, we got a couple runs on the board um, and our pitching and defense to hold them to three, you know, and keep the game close. So I think that that was the biggest thing is that we were still right in it at the end um, where it wasn't a real huge comeback that we had to try to, you know, to mount. Um So I definitely their whole team, like, like I said, at that point, they're all going to throw hard or, th- or throw strikes or be really good. And, you know, we knew, like, he, he what I remember is he threw hard, and and I think that, you know, I think I may have um, had a, a strikeout or two or grounded out, and I remember I wasn't having the best game hitting, um, but it was tough. They were good, and yep. and what was the good thing was that we had good at-bats and we got a couple runs, and we were right in the game all the way to the end, you know, and where we had that final chance.
1: Brian, where we are right now, again, there's, there's one out, base is empty, you're down by a run. So Stanley and Solman coming up. For you to come to the plate, one of these two guys has to get on base, obviously. So what are you – What what's kind of your thought process at that point with Stanley coming up to the plate?
7: Well, for me, it, it's just we're down one. We, we just got to get a run to tie it to keep the game going. You know, I wasn't really thinking about winning it or or I was just thinking about how can we get a run to tie it. And, you know, if you need to get a run and, and have a couple guys to hit in front of – like you know, between Stanley and Solman, I knew like, we're going to go down swinging. If they get us like it's with our best. So um, for, I was just thinking of if one of them gets on base, I'm going to get up and I haven't had that great a game. So I'll have another chance to maybe do something to help us. Um, But it, it was more of just, let's see who, if one of these guys or both can get on base and, you know, let the, the inning play out here, but that's kind of what I was thinking is that, yeah, I'm going to get up, but someone has to get on base first.
1: There's like a thousand points of uh, on base percentage coming up in front of you though. So <laughs> like right. you said, you've got a pretty good shot of somebody of one of these two, you know, Steve's, you know, like I said, Solman's batting 714. Stanley's got a, you know, an above 500 on base percentage all year. I think all three of you guys did for that matter. But so let's go now. There's one out, base is empty. And here comes Steve Stanley, Notre Dame's All-American leadoff batter, stepping into the batter's box at Rosenblatt Stadium.
8: For the ninth inning, and Steve Stanley coming up, the All-American 0 for 4 today. Steve needs just one at-bat to reach 1,000 for his career, but more importantly, he just wants to get on right now. He represents the tying run with Notre Dame trailing 3-2 with one out, nobody on in the bottom of the ninth inning. Stanley grounded out in his first two at-bats. He's flied out in his last two. Thinking about a bunt, it was a high fastball. It's a strike, and they're trying to say Stanley was out of the batter's box. They appealed to third, and the umpire said no. Kevin Doherty, the third-base umpire, 0-1, or 1-0, rather, to Stanley. They're actually appealing. They went around, so it's 2-0. As I said, the important thing right now is just that Stanley gets on. Third baseman, Hunter Brown, up in front of the bag. 2-0 the count to Stanley. Steve takes a fastball inside, and it's 3-0. Three straight balls to Steve Stanley. 3-2, Rice on top of Notre Dame, with one out in the bottom of the ninth inning. The 3-0, fastball in there, the belt, 3-1. Steve Solman and Brian Stavisky right behind Steve Stanley. Notre Dame has scored just twice. They've managed just six hits today. 3-1, fastball for a strike, and the count now full.
1: All right. So we go from 3-0 to start the at-bat. And the next thing you know, it's a full count. So uh, how quickly does your mindset change there, Mr. Stanley?
4: Oh, goodness. I mean, you know, you can tell. (laughs) So I I had forgotten that I even tried to bunt the first pitch. I mean, when when you've gone 0 for 4 in a game, and now you're facing a guy who hasn't given up a run, like Soli said, in the entire tournament, he's got a pretty good slider. He's lefty-lefty for me. So, and he's he's what we call a thumber. You know, he's like, you know, 84, 86. He doesn't throw very hard. Maybe his fastball was 89, but, but uh, breaking stuff was definitely trying to get you out in front of the ball. So um, I'm thinking, especially when he goes 3-0, I'm going, okay, I'm getting on base. We got the, next, <laughs> we got the best guys coming up. I'm on base. So it's all we, all we need is a chance, you know? Right. And um, then he goes strike one. And, and of course, I'm, I don't even have to look down at third base. It's a take, it's a take all the way right. I, I'm not going to hit the ball out of the park. You know, there's no so I'm not even I don't even have to look down. I mean, he gives me the take sign, but it's you know I already knew it. I was going to take it anyway. So most guys, you know, you know, you get in that situation if it's Solman or if it's Stavisky up there, I want you hitting a double or a home run, right? I'm up there and hey, get on base, take another strike. And in my case too, like I knew that he didn't throw hard enough to be able to throw one by me. So I was just as good with two strikes as I with was was with one. So that's that's where I was at. You know, we get to three two. Yeah.
1: And Paul Maneri told me that, you know, it gets to three two and then you kind of step out and like you're cinching up your, you know, (laughs) your your batting gloves and he's like, all right, this is gonna be good. You know, (laughs) he is that kind of is that kind of it sounds like that's sort of the feeling that you had you know anybody anybody
4: who knows me knows that 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 is that is what i was made for those situations i mean like i so a lot of guys they'll struggle in situations like that because it's more nerve wracking for whatever reason i just kind of that's the stuff i love and so when when it was that situation it's almost like okay here we go right and when we're ready so so I didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but I can promise you if I was going to go down, I was going down swinging and I, and I was not going to let him throw one by me. So
1: in the meantime, you know, again, you've got Solman on deck. Stavisky is in the hole over there. And again, this is a guy at, at this point, you've seen him a couple of times and now he's already thrown, what, five pitches to Stanley, you know what? Are, are, what are you? What are you seeing from him? Are you feeling, you know, pretty good? But you know, based on the fact that you've seen a lot of pitches from him already at that point.
6: Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was feeling good. I, like Steve said, they got the three zero, and I was like, okay, Steve's gonna get on base, and I. I mean, it didn't really change the situation for me much. Like, I right. was, I knew I was going to have an important at-bat no matter what, whether there was nobody on, whether there was two guys on. It was either going to be a sack bunt or, um, or for me, it was just going to be about putting the ball in play and, and putting the ball in play hard.
7: Yeah, and I think then to get to me, you know, what I'm thinking is I'm watching these guys and, and watching the pitches, and we'd already faced him once, I think, or maybe twice from when he came in. So – you know that definitely helped too. That it wasn't the ninth inning, and this is the first time we're seeing this guy as like a closer. Yeah, is that that we're facing him the se- you know second or even third time, you know in the game, and you know we're starting to get more comfortable, you know with seeing his pitches and knowing what he, what he had.
6: And mm-hmm. it, it's it's interesting too because I think in a typical situation, if he if he wasn't going to be facing three out of four lefties his first four batters, yeah, they would have gone to the bullpen. You know right, they, right. And i think they said at the beginning they had two righties warming up and i'm sure i think one of them so solely cramped. one of them was was artsmo right was I mean, he had you know, a exactly. long
4: career you know and yeah.
6: yeah he threw like 100. so yeah. i'm really grateful i was surrounded by a bunch of lefties <laughs> in the lineup. yeah no
1: kidding no <laughs> kidding great point never really, you know even thought of it that way but there were yeah two right handers warming up down there okay so it's three and two to steve stanley again notre dame is down by a run bottom of the ninth inning and uh, the base is empty. Let's, uh, let's see if this at-bat ends up. It, it just might have been good. I don't know. Let's find out.
8: <laughs> Five Saturday afternoon, but is now just two for nine at this College World Series. Three and two the count. Crowder from the windup. Payoff pitch is going to be fouled back and out of play. So Stanley stays alive by fouling off the three and two pitch from Crowder. Crowder, who transferred to Rice from TCU just prior to this year. Three and two to Stanley. The line from Crowder. Another payoff. Fan, another ball. Fouled back and out of play on the third base side. Steve Solman in the on-deck circle. The wind picking up again as it zips out toward left center field. College World Series in Omaha. 3-2. Rice on top of Notre Dame with two outs and nobody on in the bottom of the ninth. Another payoff to Stanley. This one, getting back to right center field. Turn on the jet, Steve Stanley. Back to the wall, it goes. Stanley, rounding second, heading for third. Steve Stanley will fly in. safely with a one-out triple. And Notre Dame has the tying run at third base as Steve Stanley gives area a high five as he gets in there.
1: So that picture for those watching on the YouTube stream that picture of Paul Maneri hugging Steve Stanley that is like I I went you know and I tried to find the you know pictures of you guys that I could that is the actual aftermath of the triple at third base and uh Steve you know, Paul looked like he was holding on to you for dear life at that point <laughs> I I think both of us were kind
4: of in shock at the moment you know I you know, I I, I I don't know how many triples I had that year, maybe two, maybe two, maybe one. I don't know. But it was one of those deals where uh, you hit a ball and you just, you, you kind of don't know where it's going to go or how it's going to end up. And you, once you see it get in the gap, I mean, you if you watch the clip, I'm rounding first base and I I feel like I'm floating on air, you know, just because I'm going, wow, you know, we got a chance here. That ball, right. The ball's down, you know, and of course I wasn't even thinking about two. You know, for me, I was thinking if I can get on third base, Stevie's definitely going to get me in. There's no question about it. So, And it
1: was a missile as well. Like it wasn't that high, but it was a missile yeah. to right center field, just the way it it took off. Yeah, well, and the thing about
4: it was he got me out in front. It was one of those deals where I hit, off, yeah. I hit, I hit the pitch off my front foot because uh, the way I hit, I had a double tap. And so if a guy – through a breaking ball a lot of times if I wasn't balanced I'd hit off my front foot and in that case it was it was a pitch on the outside corner I was just trying to get my bat on it and it happened to be that they were playing they were not they're obviously playing their center fielder in left center field because you know for a guy like me especially you're thinking time, I'm going yeah. to two strikes I'm going to go the other way and it just happened to be kind of placed perfectly and so um yeah I mean when I when I came into third base <laughs> he grabbed onto me and I think we were both <laughs> like we, we were both kind of thinking man we got a, we got a shot here we, we, we got a shot do you remember anything he said when you got in there <laughs> you know what that's funny no one's ever asked me that question I don't remember I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like it was one of those things where we were both kind of in shock and uh yeah I mean you're just kind of in the moment and and that for me was the loudest I'd ever you know i'd ever heard uh yeah, in a stadium yeah. that we played in so it's
1: pretty crazy yeah. and true story a few years ago someone i kind of you know somewhat familiar with but didn't really know they they knew who i was they walk up to me and the first thing out of their mouth was turn on the jet steve stanley <laughs> and he was he was listening you know driving down the road you know while that game was going on. I thought that was that was pretty cool that he remembered that line, because this has only been, you know, maybe like five, six years ago, something like that. So you know that, that had been a while but uh, so, so he was listening. And you know, there were there were other people, uh, you know, who have told me, uh, you know, they were listening to to what, you know, might be coming up here in uh, in just a minute. But I thought that was pretty cool to hear that. Now. So now Solomon, you're coming up one out tying run at third base you're, you're you're coming up to the plate we're going to get to that in just a second i just realized that i wanted to talk real quickly about something else first and, and you'll hear it here in this clip
8: And what has become his 1000th career at bat at notre dame with a triple in his biggest at bat of his career notre dame facing elimination trailing three to two with one out of here in the bottom of the ninth inning, and now Steve Stanley at third base for the Fighting Irish, representing the tying run, and the best batter of the NCAA postseason, Steve Solman, coming up with a chance to bring him in. Rice will bring in the infield, and how big now does that suicide squeeze with a runner thrown out at the plate become?
1: Okay, so that's what I want to talk about, Rice's attempted suicide squeeze, and Solman, you're the only infielder Of the crew, and I had kind of forgotten about that, you know, until I, you know, I heard this a couple of years ago. That yeah, Rice tried to squeeze home an insurance run in the top of the ninth inning. You guys got him out at the plate. What what do you remember about that?
6: I mean, I I just remember the fact that we never had a bunt play ever at at Notre Dame, and it was always like, hey, get the out at first, just get the out at first. So I'm like, yeah, it was. That's that's just the way we did things. I was like, "Ah, yeah, right um and so i was just heading over to first as all like i i guess it wasn't surprising that they would try to squeeze one across and 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 you, yeah so i the bunt goes down and i do i remember it being like a hard bunt like it was not a great bunt like it went right literally right back to jp yep um but i was still going to first assuming like all right we always get the out other first but if there's ever a time not to try to get the out at first. That was it. And and I think that was a part of coach maneri's trust in us. Like I think he always just knew if there was a situation where getting the out at first didn't make sense and and there was a chance to take that we were good enough ball players, smart enough ball players to make that decision. Um so, you know, it didn't shock me that JP made the play. Uh it definitely didn't shock me that Paul was put paulo O'Toole was putting his entire body in front of home plate to not <laughs> even let not even let that that runner from third score um but it was big, i do remember like it was huge like to go into the dugout down just one run as opposed to two that you know the crooked number just seems a little bit more difficult to, to stomach yeah. when, you, when you're going into the dugout and, and it's your last step at absolutely
1: but again now okay so you're coming up stanley's at third base with one out. You were 20 for 28 in the regional and super regionals <laughs> that's combined, uh, you know, so going into Omaha, 20 for 28 in the tournament, H- had, had the baseball, had it ever looked that big in your life? I, I can only imagine.
6: Never before, never since. Uh, <laughs> although it didn't look, like once we got to Omaha though, it didn't look quite as big. Uh, <laughs> a little blurrier. Huh? Yeah, yeah, a little smaller. Um, But it, uh, yeah, it was for me, one, I wasn't necessarily thinking that Steve would be on third. Like I I wasn't expecting a triple. I was expecting like, okay, he's going to either get on, but again, it didn't really change my, my thought process, except for that. Now I just have a lot of other ways that I can get him in. And I just need to make sure that if I get a pitch to hit that. I don't let it go by and and have to look down at third and see Coach Maneri like shaking his head like oh you let a fastball go by like what are you doing uh, so I uh, I mean he stressed he stressed getting runners in from third with less than two outs more uh-huh. than anybody yeah. I'd played for um, so it was more just okay take a deep breath slow down the heart as much as you can and and just. Um, and and like sit back again. The same thing with Steve was saying. Like I, I was confident that Crowder wasn't able going to be able to like blow one by me, and you know so he ended up throwing me a change up, and and I was lucky. I was playing with the metal bat, yep. and and I was able to to get a good piece of the barrel on it, and it and it got up the middle.
1: We'll hear that here
6: in just a second. But
1: Brian, you know now that you're going to get to bat unless something absolutely just catastrophic happens with one out. And Solman coming up, you know, you're going to get to hit. You're stepping into the on deck
7: circle behind him. So, what's what's kind of your thought process over there? Well, I guess I'm probably thinking, you know, that you know, Steve's going to get get him in. You know, this is probably going to be a, a tie game. I'm um, pressure's kind of falling off a little, you know, from going to, you know, hey, this this is going to be, you know, a tough situation, or it might be two outs and and we're still down one and now it's a chance to come up there and, you know, with the way Steve was swinging, you know, he's going to have a good at bat and he's probably going to get him in. So, you know, if it's tied, then what do I do? You know, right. so that's kind of where I went. I went from thinking like, okay, I'm probably going to get up maybe with two outs and have to try to tie or, or maybe win the game versus now, now it's, Hey, you know, we're in a great position, you know, Steve's going to knock, you know, Steve in and, you know, and at that point it's tied. And then I'll see what I can do, you know, after that. So it definitely just getting that triple and getting that on third base with one out, it just was so huge in changing the bat for Steve to have more options and probably feel more relaxed and the same for me being on deck after him.
1: All right. So Notre Dame's down three to two still Steve Stanley standing at third base after that triple. And here comes Steve Solman.
8: Wide, 1-0. Oh. Solman 1-3 is Steve Stanley with the fourth triple of his All-American senior campaign. Now at third with the Irish down 3-2. to two. Solman lines it up the middle and the game is tied. Here comes Steve Stanley. Solman brings him home. We're tied at three in a brand new ball game. Steve Solman with a 47th RBI of his sophomore season, links the All-American Steve Stanley 3-3, and now the winning run at first base for Notre Dame with Brian Stavisky coming up. Two straight hits by Stanley and Solman, a triple to right center field, and Solman with a line shot up the middle to bring home Stanley.
1: And again, this guy had locked you guys up for the better part of, five innings, and then in the span of three pitches, a triple RBI single, boom, the game is tied now in the ninth inning. Uh, any questions, Steve, biggest hit of your life, Solman?
6: Uh, no. Yeah, that was <laughs> – that's a no question right there. Um, Yeah, like I said, I – and I wasn't a guy that was – I was just trying to put the ball and play hard. I wasn't – I'm not a guy that's like, hey, I need to hit a fly ball here. Right. Um, infield was in, but still – um, was just trying to to hit the ball in a line somewhere, and and uh, and I felt comfortable. You know, I'd had I'd put up some good at bats against Crowder prior to that, and just wanted to to focus.
1: Stanley, what what was that dugout like when you got back to the dugout when you tie it up?
4: Insane. I mean, we were it was
1: electric, man. I mean, the
4: crowd to me, there was no doubt in my mind we were winning that game. You got Brian coming up, Stevie's on first now. All the momentum shifted and I didn't think Brian was going to hit one out. I mean, I, 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 like that was, you know, that wasn't on my mind, but you're thinking, okay, all the momentum. Now we only got one out. We got our best power hitter coming to the plate. We're in a great position. And yeah, I think all the, everybody felt that way. All of our fans felt that way. And definitely within the dugout, um, everything changed. I mean, talk about momentum changing that. Yeah, that, that was the right. momentum, momentum changer.
1: And so, Brian, you just talked about your your thought process, getting ready for your bat, and all that stuff. And so now it's a tie game, and you've got the winning run at at first base. So, it, 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 is your approach any different than you know if you're if you're coming up and you're still down by a run? I guess.
7: Well, I, th- I think that you know I'd like to say it'd be the same, but um, it definitely you know helped getting that run and tying the game. When you go up and it's tied already, you can be a little more confident and aggressive. You know that you can do something to now try to win the game, you know, uh, versus that you still have to try to tie it, tie it or win it. So, you know, that was, you know, like for me almost a a relief. But at the same time, I think, like like I said, I think I was 0 for 4 at that time. A couple strikeouts. I think a fielder's choice ground out, and you know we tied the game. We were back in it, and I was due to have a good at bat. So for me, that's what it was more about was. You know, I wasn't thinking about, you know, like a home run or, or anything. I was thinking, like, he's on base. We'd already had, like, at the end of the Big East tournament, I hit a ball down the left field line yeah. and we scored from first. That's that right. The Big Same East guy first base. Yep. So there's lots of ways, you know, that, that, you know, I could get a hit and the next guy could get a hit and we could get him in. So once we tied it, it definitely was a relief to have that pressure off that we're still playing no matter what. And now we can go be more aggressive and try to try to win the game right now. Uh, while we had the momentum going, you know, and, and that's what we ended up doing. Solman at first base, 3-3 game now. Here comes Stavo. Hmm.
1: As he taps it back behind the plate.
8: Ryan is 0 for 4 today with a couple of strikeouts. He reached on a fielder's choice and scored back in the third inning. He grounded out to shortstop in his last at bat of the seventh. Solman at first, he'll have a tough time trying to run with a left-hander out there. Stavisky fouls it back and out of play. On the third base side, 0-2. Andy Bushy in the on-deck circle for Notre Dame. Fisky playing without that face mask that he's worn all year here today. 0-2 the count to him. And continuing to blow toward left center. 3-3 the score. Steve Solman with a lead at first for the Irish. And Crowder now steps off. Steve Stanley with a one-out triple to right center field. Two pitches later, is Steve Sta- uh, Steve Solomon lining home? Stavisky takes a fastball high, one and two.
1: Okay, so one and two. He went with a fastball, uh, and I'll get I'll get to that here in a second. But I mentioned that football face mask. You had been you you were hit by a pitch, I believe, against West Virginia, like what late March, something like that, and you had fractured a bone. You know, so you'd been wearing actually a football face mask, and that was. The first time since then, that game, the first time that you hadn't worn the face mask. So just kind of tell everybody the story of why the face mask came off that
7: day. Well, you know, like you said, it started back, you know, against West Virginia, getting hit in the face with a fastball and, you know, being Notre Dame in the football school (laughs) that it is, you know, that, that they took my batting helmet and put a quarterback face mask on it. So that way I could come back and play you know, not risk getting my face hurt or hit again, I could be back playing sooner. So it was definitely different having a football face mask on a batting helmet. But that's how, you know, I was able to come back and and play. And and I just kind of got used to it. And at that point, I really didn't need to wear it by the postseason, probably by the Big East tournament or the regional or super regional, you know, but I just got so used to it. And it was kind of a unique thing that I just kept going with it. And it kept working, you know, for us as the year went on. So, but um, they were so big on checking equipment, you know, <laughs> at, at Omaha, and it started to get a crack from all the times having to pull it,
3: oh, no.
7: like pull it out farther to get it right. over my head and ears with the mask on. It it started to crack, so I just decided to hey, let's not risk it with me going up and the umpire saying hey, your helmet's cracked. So I think I borrowed Brent Weiss's helmet and, um, wore that, you know, number 18 instead of 19. And, um, so it was something I, I I didn't need to wear that mask anymore, but I had been wearing it just because I was used to it and it was kind of good luck. So, but I took it off that day and, um, it really wasn't, you know, that big of a a difference. Um, and I think at that point, you're just focused on at bats and getting the job done and, and, and playing a good game. Um, because at that level, you know, you're so focused on the baseball that whether you got a mask on or not, you're not even thinking about it. You're just thinking about hitting the ball, fielding the ball, what, what you're trying to do. So, but that's the story of, you know, with with that that season, most of the season, wearing that helmet with that football face mask after getting hit in the face. Yeah. And wearing it all the way through to the beginning of the World Series.
1: man, so I mentioned in that last cut, you're at first base and there is a lefty on the mound and you're the winning run as well is there any are you thinking about going at all or, or what's going on there
6: i wasn't i don't think i re- was really um i think when you got somebody that that has so much power i, I didn't want to like Knight. not give him the opportunity and mm. and he, it's funny he mentions the Big East tournament because i i remember thinking about that too because in the Big East tournament i was on first and that's how he won it he hit one down the left field line and i I scored from first. So in my mind, I'm just trying to make sure I, I get a good jump. Um, you know, I wasn't, I, I don't think I had any intentions of, of stealing at that point. Yeah.
1: So Brian, it's one and two and you, it was oh and two. He just went with a fastball up earlier in the bat or earlier in the game. Uh, you know, obviously one, two is an obvious curveball count. And I think he got you with the curve ball earlier for your, your strike at. are you, are you pretty much sitting on breaking ball at this point?
7: I think it, at that point, after seeing him a couple of bats and, and I think the first two pitches, of the at bat, I think were curve balls that I fouled off or, um, you know, got for strike one and strike two. And then, you know, he came back and tried to hit the outside corner with a fastball. And luckily it was outside, um, you know, but I was looking away and, and, you know, you mentioned in the, the, um, you know, the broadcast about the left or the, the wind kind of blowing out to left, yeah. you know, the wind was as always a big factor there. And that's, it produced a lot of home runs sometimes to right, sometimes straight out, sometimes to left. And I remember being a lefty and the wind was blowing out to left kind of across from right. You know, I wasn't thinking about home runs, but especially when the wind's blowing kind of in your face uh-huh. that you don't think about it. And that's what was such a, like a great thing, like where Steve hit his ball, he hit it hard enough to get in the right center field gap through the wind. And, you know, for me though, back to the the ball, I'm down one, two, he's already thrown me a few curveballs. balls. I'm just trying to think, stay back. But I remember thinking too, though, that that ball, the wind's carrying out to left, left center. Mm. You know, if I can stay back, I can drive one that way mm. is what I was thinking. Like I can hit one hard that way in the gap uh-huh. or I can even get one out to, to left center. Yeah. So in a, in, in a, way I was thinking like stay back try to go the other way the wind will help me that way you know if I hit one good so basically that's what I was looking for Um, you know And he came with it and like Steve was out in front but he got the triple and Solomon was a little bit out in front of the change but he hit that hard up the middle and then I got the curveball and was out in front but I'd seen enough and stayed back long enough that, that I got it so um, you know it's funny how it all played out that we all adjusted and we all made it work three bat, three of bats in a row
3: yeah
1: and it's funny how you mentioned you know the how the wind changes there at Rosenblatt because obviously it sat on top of that hill so you know the wind was a lot more prominent and I remember your practice day before the series started like you guys were just depositing but you know the ball was just jumping off your bats in the practice day and then I if like you got to the Stanford game, and it's carrying a lot differently that day, and the balls aren't, you know, quite flying the same. And then, you know, like you said, you've got a a wind that for a left hand batter is not necessarily conducive to hitting one out to right field. I got a but, quick uh, story
4: real quick, Sean. Yeah, go ahead. During that batting practice day, Coach Mary, I I uh, I'm the first one to hit, right? So I go up there, and I think I might hit the first one out. And, and, he, and he, he stopped and he goes, all right, did you get that out of your system?
3: <laughs>
4: it's like, don't ever try to hit the ball out again.
7: <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And then for me, too, like I said, I was down with two strikes. And at that point, you know, I was just trying to hit the ball hard. Like, let me just get a, get a good piece of one, uh-huh. you know, after – being over four and down to, you know, one, one ball, two strikes, you know, at that point I was just, let me do anything to get the bat on the ball solid here. And uh, well,
1: turns out you did We're, We've come to our final cut. I think we all know what's coming up here, but we'll go ahead and play it anyway. Here we go with uh, the score tied three to three against rice at the college world series.
8: Four runs this year. That's the second most on this team. He also has eight home runs. Each team with three runs and eight hits. Notre Dame has committed one error. One and two. The count to Stavisky. Crowder with the pitch, breaking ball, slam to right. Notre Dame scores three runs in the bottom of the ninth inning.
1: So uh, Stavo, the, the, the floor is yours. How did it feel coming off your bat?
7: Well, you know, it, it felt awesome, but it almost felt kind of like unreal. You know, that like Steve was saying, and it's funny, like the way he described his triple is exactly how I felt about this home run, that that he hit it and it just went, you know, out to right, right center and it felt like he was just floating around the bases to get to third. And it was the loudest cheer that he'd ever heard. And it was the same for me that, you know, I, I connected and it felt like like nothing because I hit it, hit it well. But then it goes out and it's like and the game's over. We won. And I remember thinking, like, this is the loudest roar I've ever heard. <laughs> and I'm going around the bases and it feels like I'm not even touching the ground. <laughs> and then I, I I get around, you know, the bases and, and coaches yeah. at third and then everyone's at home. And it, it was definitely the, the greatest feeling I've had on a baseball field. And, hmm. um you know, it, it, it won the game and it, it kept us playing for another game. And yep um but that, it's funny, like the way Steve described his triple is exactly the same way I felt about this hit with, you know, feeling like, you know, Walking just on air going like, around on the bases. Yeah. Yeah, going numb like like not like can't believe that it just happened that I just did that and you know the roar and you know it was almost like a dream. You know, did that really happen? And um and and it was incredible like in the fact in a matter of three batters to go from being down and, and almost out to tie game to winning the game and you know and and with to be with this group of guys to pull that off against rice and at Omaha, you know, was the best feeling I've ever had on a baseball field. And, and that gave us another chance, you know, to keep playing, you know, at least Mm -hmm. one more game.
1: Stanley and, and Solman, obviously you're, you're watching from different perspectives, Stanley, you're over in the dugout. Solman is at first base. So when, when that ball leaves his bat, what are you guys seeing? Did you think it was gone right away?
4: Yeah. Uh, not only did I think it was gone, I mean that ball was leaned on. I mean he <laughs> that thing. So to get one out in the wind to right that day, you had to be, you had to have some hair on your chest. And he, that ball was crushed. So I'm telling you, you know he, he's he's kind of underscoring it, but that ball was crushed. So I, I always tell the story about Brian's first home run, and he hit it when uh, when we were in Memphis his freshman year. And I, you know, I was a sophomore and I and I go, this guy's got different type of power. And then the other story I tell is that always the umpires would go through the line before the game and they would feel the bats and the roundness of the bat. So that if you had, if your bat was too flat, they would have to throw your bat out. I think they threw my bat out maybe once in 65 games. They threw Brian's bat out probably 25 times. <laughs> he, was, he was hitting with the cricket stick because he, he hit the ball so hard and um so yeah i mean he i was not expecting him to hit a ball out of the park i was just celebrating that we had tied the game and then right. all of a sudden now I'm, I'm celebrating going from celebrating that we've tied it to now he just walked them off and what an incredible feeling
6: yeah i was I, I think going into the ab like i i mean we all knew brian wasn't having his best day and i was like all right just put together a good at bat like let's just put together a good at B, a good ab i think was it Bushy that was coming up after? Yeah, he was yep. on deck, uh, yeah. Yeah. So like let's just let's just keep it going. One to the next, yeah. one to the next. Um and then he hit the ball. And my first thought was like, because it wasn't like he hit a towering bomb. Like right. it was like I felt like it was 15 feet off the ground the entire way into the stands. <laughs> yeah. wow. So my first because I've never hit a ball like that or seen many hit like that. <laughs> I um uh, my first instinct was like, all right, like Make sure you see it down and then get on your horse and see what we can do here. But then as I like, you know, because I remember turning around and taking a couple big hops, like, okay, where are we gonna be? And then I was like, oh, <laughs> I fall's way I made i all gone. Like this is <laughs> and then it's um yeah, I mean just pandemonium. Just pandemonium.
1: From from my perspective, you know, one, you know, you guys have talked about how the crowd There at the college world series is so different and it's obviously a bigger stadium than you're used to playing in in college baseball and what's what's cool about the way they they did it is each each radio team had its own broadcast booth so everybody got their own booth but there was glass you know between booths so you could see the people in the next booth so i remember you know starting off i'm sitting down there's some people right i'm sitting like up against the glass to my left and there's some people that i think they were georgia tech people if i remember right who have obviously was also there and so the ball is hit and i just remember standing up <laughs> and you know as it's going just because the, again the perspective is a little different so i really it was like it was almost like you know um um uh, Joe Buck, uh, Jack Buck, you know, with with the with the Gibson home run, I don't believe what I just saw. I didn't say that, but that that was almost my feeling, you know, be, just because that perspective, you know, the way it just kept carrying it again, the you know the the it was not supposed to be a a day conducive to hitting the ball out where Brian Stavisky got it, and it was almost just like my head was exploding. You know when when it happened so it was it was
4: you and word form were expressing what we all felt i mean that (laughs) was as you got increasingly louder sean i mean that was that was exactly how we felt i mean you know you did such a great job of conveying going back and listening to these games exactly really what the fans were feeling and what we were feeling on the field too
6: so yeah it was it was when i talked to people about the college world series experience um I, I I try to like there's there's points where it was like the, the, the Florida State super regional like there's just something about being in front of whatever 5000 6000 yeah. fans mm-hmm. that are all cheering against you right <laughs> like the noise that came in Florida State and just yeah. it was nonstop like their chants and all of this stuff and it was it was just so intense and then you get to the College World Series and unless you're playing like Nebraska a lot of it is just like people that are there just because they enjoy baseball. So it's right. like, oh, they don't really have a, a rooting interest a lot of times. And so it's not necessarily as, you know, loud. And, but in that inning, it was the loudest I'd ever been at a, at a baseball game. And, and, um, and that just goes to show that like everybody could appreciate that excitement and how much fun and how incredible that was, whether you were a, a Notre Dame fan or a Georgia Tech fan waiting for the next game or, or whatever.
1: Brian, it struck me that all. In regionals, one in super regionals leading off the uh, Florida.
3: State
7: i college, better because I think everyone makes a big And
3: both and for um,
7: before in college, maybe I just had a little bit of a focus, a little more, and maybe things and, and um, didn't try to do too much. And that one against Florida State, I wasn't expecting that. I just got a good hanging curveball and I swung and it went out to right and a to state. Yep. You know, so in that. You know, you trying to do something to do what you're supposed to do. That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Drop my career at all the levels that it's like this is supposed to be tougher. I just need to focus and keep it simple. And things usually turn even better.
1: Stanley, do you mention crowd or just crowd across? Picture you guys were both dragged by Oakland, and so was he. Did, did was either of you teams in uh, the A's were, You know, at least one of both of you were,
4: yeah. Yeah, we I, crossed I, time off in the spring training. I never played on his team on his minor league games, but I always I felt so bad, you know. <laughs> I, I did, I, I did, I felt so bad walking, but he's the sweetest guy. I, <laughs>
3: you know, you know we're making the same thing. not go there and It's like
4: it's like passing somebody at the water
3: cooler. <laughs> and so,
4: you know. It, Um, And then that was, you know, it was devastating for him. So as as much as euphoric as it was for us, I mean, well, unfortunately
1: for him, you know, again, like I did a lot of Google searches trying to find, you know, some pictures specifically, you know, from that game, if I could. But even for him, that I think is the only photo that came up, you know, other than maybe a headshot or something. And, you know, so it's like. If he googles his name 20 years later that's unfortunately you know when he's stuck you know it's great for you guys but it's not so great for him
7: so you know go ahead go ahead steven and then i'll i'll say go ahead no i just
6: i i got a funny story about that as well my brother-in-law got a new job like six or seven years ago at this company and he was doing some it was like a sales job and there was salesmen all over the country and he had a training that he had to go to to start it off and uh and he's at this training and he starts to get to know one of these other salesmen that that is new and it turns out that it was Justin Crowder and I don't know how the whole like I think he mentioned that he played baseball and then he played professionally like oh my brother-in-law played baseball and in like where you go, he went. You know, he went to Notre Dame, oh, no. and, then, and then he was like, oh, no. "Uh, like when did he graduate?" <laughs> He's like, he like, "Yeah, I'm not." And then he got to my name, and he was like, "You got to be kidding me! I can't get away from this."
7: <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing, you guys, know, you know, Steve crossed paths with him, and Stanley with the you know with the spring training, and Steve now with the you know the connection from work. And my first place I played was Vancouver. And, you know, Steve uh, Stanley went on, and um, I think you started out in Modesto or Visalia, right? Right,
4: right. That first,
7: um, you know, that first season, that first summer. But I went to Vancouver, and that's where Justin was. And so he was already there because oh, I he had left, you know, finished the college season. He had signed. He had gone to Vancouver. He'd been there already. I had waited a little while. Um, and then late in July, when I signed, I went to Vancouver and I I remember was like thinking how good a pitcher he was. And I, and then I knew he was going to be on the team. And so some of the other guys that were there, um, remember Brent Colomarino from Pittsburgh. Yeah. He was also, a captain and was on the team in Vancouver and some of these other guys that when I got there and joined the team, like they were all like wondering how I was going to, act, you know, around Justin because he was already there and and he was afraid, like he was kind of afraid and shy, like didn't want to, you know, like he's like, how is this guy going to be, you know, is okay. he going to be <laughs> like a jerk and just rub it in my face or whatever? And, you know, so anyway, it's just it's funny because like, like Stanley, me, Crowder, we're all drafted by the A's that year, you know, and, and it plays out that he gets the triple, I hit the home run, then we were all in the A's organization together. And Justin and I happened to be on Vancouver that summer. Like the next team we play on, we're on the same team together. So, you know, for me, I just kind of went up, shook his hand and and like kind of introduced myself, but just said like, you're a great pitcher. I'm glad we're on the same team, you know? And I think like the way I acted kind of helped him like feel a little bit better. And then we were just teammates that summer. And then throughout the time I was with the A's, we were at different levels, but we did play a year in Double A together and he was good like he was always good as he moved up through and and I always remembered that how good he was and how the pitch one pitch could have gone differently where yeah. he could have got me again so i think that he was afraid of being on the same team with me after what happened but um for me it was yeah we got we won but that's over you know and now we complete be teammates and i think that helped him and cuz he was still good and he was good with for us in the minor leagues and I really enjoyed getting to know him and playing with him for a couple seasons in the minors.
1: Well, for guys who wrecked this guy's life, you guys are all really good guys (laughs) yourself. (laughs) No, this has been a lot of fun. This is, this has been a blast guys to get to, to do something like this. Like I said, we've never tried anything like this before. It was great to see you uh, at the 20 year anniversary a few months back. And I'll just kind of give you the floor, you know, real quick. If you want to go around the horn again, any, any, kind of final thoughts before we wrap this up tonight? Well, this is always, every time we get
4: together, it is a highlight for me. And just to spend time with you guys and, and to remember those days and to look, you know, I'm a huge college baseball fan now, and I love watching where the game has gone. Um, and, you know, I do, I will say that those days, you know, in Omaha, uh, and then, you know, even as you guys are recording, calling and all of times spent together. It was really one of the best times of my life. And I'm very thankful that I got to be a part of that and be part of this group. And um, I'm excited, you know, we're getting together in the fall again. So it'll be great to, to see everybody again. <laughs>
1: Somebody's rocking out.
7: <laughs> sorry about that. The phone's connected to right. the, the headpiece too. Sorry.
4: Uh, I like, sorry. I was like, I was putting my comments to music, man. Like, yeah. Nice job. That's right.
6: Yeah. You didn't realize I had the producer key, right? Yeah. Um, no, just to build on that, yeah. Those, I mean, these conversations, such great memories. Um, just part of what was an incredible four-year run for, for me at Notre Dame. And, you know, I mean, for the best years of my life for sure, which is, you know, why I'm back here now. It's why I do what I do. Um, so just grateful to, to have these friendships, grateful to have these memories. And, uh, and like Steve said, can't wait to, to get back in the fall and see those guys again.
7: Yeah. And I mean, it's hard to believe it's been 20 years and, I'm so glad we had the reunion and most of the guys and most of the staff were back just, you know, a few months ago, um, you know, or, or just, just a little over a month ago. And, you know, it's been 20 years, but the guys are the same, you know, and that's what is so cool. Like that we can just pick up where we left off. And, but the thing now that guys have families and they've had so many other experiences since then, it's so neat to learn and hear about what they've done since, but At the same time, we always have this, you know, we always have Notre Dame and Notre Dame baseball and this team specifically the College World Series. So, you know, it's so great to get back together. The reunion was a blast and I didn't want to leave that weekend, you know, after being back together with everyone. And it's great that we can talk here again and kind of relive that that last inning against Rice. So, and Sean, I really appreciate you digging up the old audio files that you sent to everyone. Oh, no problem. And and doing this today, you know, to be able to um, do, you know, do something like this. Like we were saying, who would have thought you could do something like this 20 years ago? Yeah, no kidding. And get together (laughs) on, you know, the computer and and relive that that time. So, um, you know, it's just a lot has happened in 20 years, but, you know, the cool thing too, is when you come from an area Probably Steve and Steve, the same thing is that
3: you can
7: say, Watch the game, and that was the coolest. That's the coolest. And it was from Matt. things about it too was not just the group in this team um but even years from someone's like yeah i was watching that game against rice you know and you know that and that's the cool thing is when you, you hear how many people caught the game or, or or followed back then and yeah you know thought it, thought it was you know, really really neat and not just for me but to see the whole team so um you know, I'm glad we're kind of reuni—you doing the reunion and living and it ourselves. But um, but that to me that was really uh, like a pleasant surprise that for years after hearing from people back around here, you know, that I got to do something. that kind of made the people from my home area proud, you know, and I'm sure for Steve and Steve, the same thing.
1: Yep. Well, guys, again, this has been a blast. It's always great to uh to get to talk to you. It was great to to see you recently and uh look forward hopefully to uh to doing maybe we'll do something like this again in the future. But uh, you know it's it's always you know it's 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 my honor to get to have been like a small piece in this whole thing, you know, to get to kind of relive this kind of thing. So it's 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 awesome guys. Thanks again for doing this and uh look forward to talking to you again, hopefully in the not too distant future. Sounds
6: thanks, great. Sean. Thanks so much, Sean.
1: All right thanks, Sean. All right. So uh we're going to we're going to put the wraps on things. Vince, I didn't I wasn't expecting you to kind of uh hang out, you know, I saw you watching there. You know, we've got kind of a little, you know, like side room, you know, where where Vince was watching offline and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. That was one of the cooler things that I think I've ever done and I appreciate all the comments that we got, you know, throughout the game from from uh viewers and and stuff like that, but that was that was pretty cool to be able to do something like that, Vince.
2: Well, I, I've been looking forward to hearing those guys, and and you had told me about the fact that you were going to interview them. and I'm like, okay, this is going to be cool. and You're going to walk them through the whole bottom of the ninth inning, and I've heard your calls in the past, and to hear them go through it and what they were thinking and how it all—I mean, that was that was awesome, man. I'm—I I, I was like a little kid. I, I both hands were here, <laughs> and I was just kind of watching and just taking it all in, and because uh, those guys are right about my age, and uh, that's true to be able to look back, you know, 20 years, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty darn cool. I think I was a junior in college in 2002. So I was right there, uh, as far as you're, are you 40 or
1: 41? I I uh, 41, 41. Yeah. So you're, uh, cause I remember at, they just had their 20 year reunion back in April and, and, you know, I got to go over and, have some beverages with those guys. And and I remember <laughs> Solman telling me that I think that he had just turned 40 and he was a sophomore that year. Yeah, yep. so he would have been like right a year behind you. Yeah, so. so those
2: guys are right in my wheelhouse. And, you know, when you, you sit back and you think about college and what an amazing experience college was in general, but then to have that kind of a moment, you're never going to forget that. And as soon as all three of them and plus you all in that group together, you're going to fall right back into those memories and just like buddies – it was awesome. Like, that was, and it was like we were eavesdropping on a conversation <laughs> between buddies. That's what that felt like. And it was really cool. So, thank you for setting that up. I really enjoyed it.
1: We'll have to see if we can do more of those kind of things in the future. Yeah, if, absolutely. If can. So, absolutely. Yep, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, that's uh, that's going to do it for tonight. We, you know, we for an hour show were in, at an hour and 45 minutes, but, you know, that took up an hour of it. And it was, uh, to me, it was a worthwhile hour. I hope. I you know again we got a lot of really nice comments about you know fr- from from uh, some of our viewers who are very interested in that and uh, you know so hopefully a lot of other people were interested in it as well so Ben you have a good rest of your week and and weekend and I will uh, talk to you next week sounds good looking forward to it that's gonna do it for tonight all right I think we had a little lag there but that's gonna do it for tonight's show of course remember you can always find the uh, the archives the video archives on youtube at the irish breakdown youtube channel and you can also find the audio podcasts on all the uh, the typical wherever you get your podcast you know your audio streaming platform so we will talk to you tomorrow on ib nation sports talk